Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Have you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm starting a new sermon series today entitled, uh, Jesus Said What? And I can't even do it like Daniel does, but... Um, We are going through and looking at some of the radical, controversial, maybe even sometimes confusing things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It was a sermon that rocked and changed the world, the Sermon on the Mount. So you understand that when you look at your Bible, everything in your Bible is the Word of God. Like from Genesis to maps, it is all the Word of God. God had it all written down just for you to tell His story to you. But inside your Bible, there are certain words that are in red. And those words in red are the words of Jesus that God, through the Holy Spirit, had people pinned down. The words in red are not more important than any other words. They're all the Word of God. But we we look a little closer at the words in red. But even inside the words of red, there is beginning in Matthew chapter 5, several chapters that are written in red, that are this Sermon on the Mount. And inside that, Jesus gave some radical advice. So I want to look at that today. The first sermon I'm going to preach today is entitled, Nip It in the Bud. Now, there was some advice in, in Matthew chapter 5, in this Sermon on the Mount, that, that, that it, as soon as this chapter opens, we get near the end of the chapter, there is just some controversy. I mean, Jesus said some things that made the listeners go, now, now what, what, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And we even find later on that uh, Barney Fife and Andy Griffith echoed the words of Jesus just in a different way. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch this video. <laughs> It's got to stop right now. Nip it. Nip it in the butt. What in the butt? You and Jeff, that's what. Nip it. Tell him you're mine. Barney Fife, I do believe you're jealous. Doggone Thelma Lou, you're my girl, ain't you? Of course I am. All right, then nip it. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. First sign of youngsters going wrong, you got to nip it in the bud. Nip it. You go read any book you want on the subject of child discipline, and you'll find that every one of them is in favor of bud nipping. Take care of it. Only one way to take care of it. Nip it. In the bud. <laughs> Set up a checkpoint, nip this speed and right in the bud. Forget about her. Nip it. Nip it in the bud. Barney's a jail. All right, all right, all right, all right. Now, the minute it looks like there's going to be trouble, we got to nip it. Nip it in the bud! Nip it! Mm-hmm. Let's hear it! Nip it back! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Barney getting everybody else in on it too. Well, those that's not exactly what Jesus said, but it's really, really close. Because today you are here, and listen, you have sins that you struggle with. And you, you struggle with those sins, and if you're not careful, you have sins that will hurt your relationship with God. You have sins that, left unchecked, can do lethal damage to you, 
and to those around you. Sin is no laughing matter. It kills what it contacts, it condemns when it connects, and you had better not let sin linger in your life. And that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it together? If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It's going to be up on the screen. You've heard these words before. Look, look at what it said up here on the screen. It said, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Thank you. You may be seated. Now this passage we're looking at here in Matthew chapter 5 starts out talking about adultery. But listen, we're going to take a broader approach with the subject because it wasn't just adultery that Jesus was talking about. It was a broader approach to sin. There is a principle that Jesus is trying to tell us, beginning in verse number 27, that fits into more than adultery. So let me walk you through those four verses, and then let me uh, make some observations about those verses at the end. Look back at verse number 27. Jesus starts off really plainly, and go ahead and put verse 27 back up on the screen. Jesus walks off, uh, walks out real plainly, and he says, look, you've heard it said of those of old time, you should not commit adultery. Now, here's how strongly they said it in, in, in their time. If you were caught committing adultery, the only prescription for your punishment was death. So if you're caught in the act of this sin, you're, and we see that in the gospel. Remember, they, they brought the woman who was caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus, and they said, you know, let's stone her. And Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. You remember that story because it, technically you were supposed to be punished by death. Now, they'd quit doing that by the time Jesus rolls around, but that was the law of Moses, that if you're caught in adultery, you should be condemned to death. But now the Jewish rabbis had said this about that law. They said, as long as you don't commit the act of adultery, then you will not be guilty of adultery. Here's what they were saying. You could think about it all you want. You could contemplate it all you want. As long as you didn't actually do it, then you were, listen, this is the word they use. As long as you didn't actually do it, here's what they said. You would be holy before God. So you, your mind could be running away with every thought imaginable. Your heart could be running away with every scheme imaginable. But as long as you didn't do the actual deed, you were holy before God. Well, Jesus came along and uh, he said this six different times in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said this phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. The Pharisees had figured out a system by which you could be as unholy, sinful, ungodly as you wanted to be. But as long as you didn't commit the act, they would declare you holy, technically speaking. And so Jesus is about to 
rock the world. Because Jesus is about to come along and say, that is merely an external righteousness. And God is looking for more than an external righteousness. And so he goes on to verse number 28. And he said, so now here's what the law says. As long as you don't commit the act, you're fine. But verse number 28, he says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already with her in her heart. Now, the word look requires some investigation. It means to regard or to linger at. The word lust requires some investigation. It means to have your affections directed towards something else. And what you have to understand here is Jesus is not talking about the natural, normal desire, which is part of human instinct and and human nature. If Jesus was condemning all lust, I mean, I wouldn't be married. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I was, uh, uh, because I looked at Sherry when I was 16 and I said, she is beautiful. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Well, if you're not careful, you can put that into this passage, and that's not what Jesus is saying. According to the literal meaning of the Greek, the man is condemned who is the one who looks at a woman with the deliberate intention of planning an illicit relationship with her. You could almost say it this way, that he was mentally and emotionally stalking her. His eyes are not diverted from her. And the rabbis were familiar with this. The rabbis would say that it was the, it was the eyes and the hands and the heart that were the brokers of sin. They had a saying, the eyes and hands are the two brokers of sin. The eye and the heart are the handmaids of sin. Passion lodges only in him who sees. So Jesus said that if, if you're looking at another woman and you are making plans in your heart to commit adultery with her. Here's what he said. You have already committed adultery with her in your heart. Again, the phrase is a little controversial because you have to back up and say, now Jesus said, what did he say? Jesus didn't say you'd already committed adultery with her. He said you'd already committed adultery with her in your heart. You say, well, preacher, if you do it in your heart, shouldn't you go ahead and do it? No, that is not what Jesus was commending. He shouldn't say that a person should go ahead and do the lustful action too because when you actually carry it out, you do more damage. It causes people to excuse sin rather than stop it. It deliberately rebels against the word of God. It always hurts someone else in addition to the sinner. Sinful action is more dangerous than sinful desire. Nevertheless, sinful desire is just as damaging to righteousness. And left unchecked. Wrong desires will result in wrong actions that hurt others and turn people away from God. And so, already, people are like, now, Jesus said, what? But it gets even worse. Because you need to go to the next verse, 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you. What's more profitable for you that one of your members perish and your whole body be cast into hell? Go look at verse number 30. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. And repeats the same verbiage. Now listen, Jesus was speaking figuratively in this passage. He didn't literally mean to gouge out an eye because even a blind person can lust. 
But the strong language describes how Jesus' followers should renounce anything that would cause them to sin or turn away from faith. And so the action of surgically cutting sin out of our lives should be prompt and complete to keep us from sin. And so here's what Jesus was saying. That believers must get rid of any relationship, any practice, or any activity that leads to sin. Believers should be willingly cut off any temptation, habit, or part of their nature that would lead them away from Christ. Jesus was saying that people need to take drastic action to keep them from stumbling. Self-denial is preferable to sin and its consequences. Because look at what he says. Just look right there at verse 30. For it is more profitable that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now listen, that could, that could have two meanings and probably carries both. It could have the meaning of hell, of eternal punishment, that there are some of you here today that you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And listen to me carefully. If you're a Christian, sin does not send you to hell. But if you're not a believer, listen to this. There are people in this room today that there is a sin in your life that is keeping you from trusting Jesus. I had a boy tell me one time when I was trying to witness to him. I've told you this. He said to me, well, preacher, I'd get saved, but I have some more sinning I'd want to do. And so... There are some of you here today, you have a sin in your life that's keeping you from coming to Christ because you already know the Word of God and the Spirit of God have already spoken to your heart and said, hey, listen, if you come to Christ, you got to give that up. And that sin is keeping you from coming to Christ. And listen carefully, there is nothing in this world that's worth dying and going to hell over. Say amen. But it also carries another meaning with it because the word hell there, Sheol, means the grave oftentimes. And Jesus was saying it is more profitable that you get rid of your eye or you cut your hand off than you send your whole body, your whole person to the grave. Literally, Jesus could have been saying that you just cast your life into ruins. That you send your family to ruin. That you send your life to ruin. That you send your reputation to ruin. That you send your, the peace that's in your heart to ruin. That you send your Christian testimony into ruin. You said you'd be better off to nip it in the bud. So let me give you three words of wisdom I think Jesus is trying to tell us here. You might want to jot these down. Number one is this. What's in your heart matters. What's in your heart matters. Jesus was condemning people for committing adultery in their heart. Now, the passage before this is just as radical because the passage before this, Jesus was condemning people who were committing, get this, murder in their heart. The Pharisees had so constructed the law that as long as you didn't commit the act, so as long as you didn't actually murder somebody, you were holy before God. So I could want to murder you, I could plan on murdering you, I could think about murdering you, but as long as I didn't pull the trigger, I was holy. And Jesus came along and said, uh, no. That's not the way it works with God. Jesus came along and said, what is in your heart matters. That what is going on in your heart matters. And it matters a great deal. You can actually not commit the sin, but commit the sin by having pondering in your heart all the time. And listen, you aren't holy if you never do it, but you're always thinking about it. And Jesus said, 
What's going on in your heart matters. Listen to me, child of God. What is going on inside of you matters. The things you're thinking about matters. The things you're dwelling on matters. And you cannot be holy before God and have a heart that's far from him. You say, preacher, I'm not actually going to do it. But that's not good enough. As a matter of fact, that's not even good enough for our own laws. Just a couple months ago, a Utah man was arrested and faces the possibility of 100 years in prison. You know what for? Making death threats against President Donald Trump. A grand jury indicted Travis Luke Dominguez, who's of, in Utah, on 11 counts, including making threats to kill the president during the president's visit to Utah. Each count carries a maximum of 10 years. He, he told authorities this, and I quote, I'm going to kill the sexist, racist, homophobic President Trump today. Nothing you can do to save President Trump, nor stop me, pigs. The state statute criminalizing these threats against the president can be found in Chapter 41 of the U.S. Criminal Code. The chapter covers several types of threat-related offenses involving federal government officials, plus things such as blackmail, extortion, receiving kickbacks from public work employees. For a violation of Chapter 41 to occur, and I quote, a threat must be made to either kill, kidnap, or inflict bodily harm upon the president or other individuals protected by this statute. Here, in other words, listen carefully, if you are just planning on doing it, it's a crime. It's a crime. This man's going to go to prison for 100 years. And he didn't even attempt to do it. He just planned on doing it. Listen carefully. If that's true in the U.S. criminal code, how much more so with God who can see your heart? You remember 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel was trying to pick a new king for Israel? And here's what uh, uh, the Lord said to Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, you know what it is? Heart. Heart. Can I say to you, the Lord is looking at what's going on in your heart? Because what goes on in your heart is probably going to work its way into your life before too long. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. It matters what's going on in your heart. You don't believe me? Just look at your wife and say, say, look at your husband. Look at your wife and say, honey, you know I'd never run around on you, but I really want to. I mean, I got the girl picked out already. I got a photo of her hanging in my car. I've got the details, but I just want you to know I'd never do it. Do you think for a minute she's going to look at you and say, well, that is so sweet. Thank you for being faithful to me. (laughs) It ain't going to fly, fella. Hey, you go into a bank, you take a camera, take a duffel bag in the bank, and you go in there and you start taking pictures as you go around the bank. And let's take bullets and go hand every teller a bullet as you're going down through there. And then you go up to the manager and you say, hey, don't worry. I just, I'm planning a bank robbery. I'm never going to do it. But I'm trying to figure out how many bullets I need when I rob the bank. So I'm just giving everybody a bullet. I'm figuring two bullets per employee. So I, everybody's got two bullets. Now, if you would give me the code to the vault, I'm never going to rob the bank. But if you just give it to me, I'd like to have it. 
You'd be in jail faster than you could bat an eye. Do you know why? It matters what's going on in your heart and your mind. And some of you here today, and on the outside, everything looks so good to us. Some of you are here today, and everything looks so great, and you, you could say, preacher, but I've never done that. No, but your heart is ate up with bitterness inside you. Your heart is ate up with anger inside of you. Your heart is ate up with evil and ill intent. I just want to tell you, it matters what's going on in your heart because God looks at the heart. And he said, if you're planning on doing it, Jesus wasn't talking about a, a, a look or a glance. He said, if you're planning on doing it, if you're making plans for evil, if you're wishing evil, you say, preacher, I'd never hurt a soul, but I'd clap if something bad happened to him. Listen, that is in your heart, and it matters. What's in your heart matters. It's the first thing Jesus told us. The second thing he told us was this, that you need to stop it before it starts. Jesus emphasized that, that if the act is wrong, then so is the desire to do the act. And Jesus urged the offender to settle an offense quickly at a less, lesser cost than rather delay and encourage the judgment of a higher authority. So he urged his disciples to pay the lesser cost rather than allow the sin to develop fully and incur the final judgment of God. So here's what he said. It costs less to address the root of sin early on than to carry the weight of the consequences of the sin fully developed as well as the judgment of before God. But listen, here's what he was saying. The earlier sin is dealt with, the better. So here's what Jesus said. Listen, pluck out your eyeball. Cut off your hand. Why would he say that? You know, over the years, people have taken those verses literally. The, the man I just finished reading the book on Lincoln, the man who shot, the man who shot Lincoln had, was a hatter. You've ever heard the phrase a mad hatter? The reason they had the phrase a mad hatter is because they dealt with mercury and they developed mercury poisoning, which is one of the things that would lead to insanity. And so the man who shot the man who shot Abraham Lincoln had literally cut off parts of his body to keep from sinning. But he was crazy. So just know that, right? He lost his mind. Jesus said it. He said, hey, if, you're, if your eyes offending you, here's what you need to do. Pluck your eye out. Why would he say that? Here's what Jesus is trying to say. You need to deal with sin before the sin takes root. Here, here's what he's saying. You would be better off to lose your hand than to let that sin come to fruition and lose your whole life. So you need to stop it before it starts. Because we tend to think that the small sin, the small heart desire isn't deadly, but listen, it always leads to bigger things. One sagging electrical line near Cleveland, Ohio, connected with a tree branch 
at 3.32 p.m. on August 14, 2003, and that led to a chain of events that became the largest blackout in American history. How did that happen? The line had softened, softened under the heat of summer and the high current coursing through it, and normally when a line softens, the problem would have tripped an alarm, and the alarm would have told them to cut electricity to that one line so it didn't happen, but the alarm system failed. According to the government study afterwards, the failure of this single line transmission caused this. A utility company in southern Ohio uh, overloaded and sealed itself off from the power grid. Because of that, to the north, it created a huge need for power, and Cleveland, Ohio, began sucking an unsustainable amount of electricity from Michigan and Ontario, knocking out more transition lines and knocking generation pl generating plants offline. When the need for more power reached New York, power plants there sealed themselves off from the power grid in order to protect their own systems. However, when they sealed themselves off, from uh, the power grid, New York had too much electricity. And it overloaded its system and it shut down. And all that resulted in history's largest power blackout in America. 50 million people lost power for up to two days. It cost an estimated six billion dollars and at least 11 people died because of it why because one small power line in ohio got too hot all because when it got too hot one little limb broke loose and it set off a chain reaction hey can i tell you this i read that story and i thought that so describes our lives that little sin, that little thought, that little desire that you're holding on to may not seem like much, but if it breaks loose, it could release all kinds of havoc in your life. And so Jesus said this, deal with it now. Some of you now, you have something you need to deal with. Don't wait, just do it. It's not out in the open, it's in your heart. It's just a pre tree branch in your life. But listen carefully, if you don't deal with it, ruin is on the way. And so Jesus said, hey, cut it off. Pluck it out. You do what you have to do to get rid of that sin in your life before that sin in your heart becomes sin in your life and ruins, ruins your life. And that leads me to number three. Jesus said this, if you don't nip it now, it may nip you. If you don't nip it now, it may nip you. Jesus said it's better to lose an eye or a hand now than to lose your whole body or soul. If you don't deal even with what's in your heart, it could be to destroy your life. And so we've already looked at it. It could be two things. It could mean that it's going to send you to an eternal hell because there is a sin standing between you and your relationship with God. There's a sin standing between you and salvation. And you, you're saying in your heart, you'd never say it out loud, but you're saying in your heart, I'd rather have this sin in my life than have God in my life. I'd rather have sin in this life than have uh, salvation in my life. 
I'm willing to risk an eternity in a place called hell for the pleasure of sin for a season. Jesus said, listen, that is the most ridiculous thing ever. You cannot let that be the story of your life. You have got to get rid of that sin because it could send you to eternal damnation. Then Jesus said to those who are already saved, hey, it could cast your whole life into the grave. It could cast your whole life into ruin." It could cast your family into ruin. It could cast your finances into ruin. It could cast your testimony into ruin. If you don't deal with it now, it will deal with you. And we tend to think that if it hasn't gotten us yet, it won't. You could not be more wrong. That sin, that sin of the heart is always lurking and ready to strike and ruin your life. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. Let me tell you a story and I'm done. Fifteen years ago, a guy named Kai Hansen moved to an island in the middle of the crocodile-infested river in order to get away from uh, city life. For ten years, his dog Pippa taunted the local crocodiles with impunity. He never got caught. But just a few weeks ago, the dog finally met her end. The blonde terrier was eaten by a saltwater crocodile named Cassie. Put, a, put, this, put that up, guys. You, you, you can see it. You can't see it well, but right in the middle of the photograph, you see an alligator. And the little Pippa was barking furiously at the crocodile. And he'd done it for 10 years. For 10 years, little Pippa had chased this crocodile back into the water. And on this day, the croc got tired of it. And in one fell swoop, while people were videoing it, the crocodile turned around, grabbed the dog, and drug her into the water. Here, I've got video. Watch this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to show you. (laughs) I got you, didn't I? I got you. I did watch the video, and it's pretty terrifying that this dog nipped around a crocodile for 10 years. Here's what the owner said. The owner said, it's not fair to blame the crocodile. She's just doing, she's not doing something wrong. She's just doing what crocodiles do. It's not the croc's fault. It's what they do. You can, t- you can take it down. And can I tell you this morning that that's what sin does even in your heart? Sin will keep letting you play around with it. It'll let you flaunt with it. It'll let you have fun with it. And then one day when you think you're a big dog, sin will turn around and bite you and drag you under. And so that's why Jesus said, nip it now. Deal with it now. Don't ruin your marriage over that sin. Don't ruin your family. Don't ruin your life. Don't ruin your reputation. Don't ruin your walk with God. You nip it in the bud. And if you don't nip it, it will nip you one day. You may let it. You you may bark. You may bite. You may play around with that crocodile of sin in your life. And you may do it for years. And one day you're thinking, preacher, 
he doesn't know. I've been fooling around like this. I've been having this little sin in my life. I've been having fun for years. I know. I know. But one day that crocodile is going to turn around and bite you and drag you under. And you'll remember the words of Jesus when he said, nip it. Nip it in. Those are the words of Bonnie. Jesus said, plug out your eye. Cut off your hand. All that's figuratively speaking, but you deal with it before it's too late. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Tough sermon, I know it, but listen, has to be preached. Jesus said it. And there's some of you here today that you've got something in your life that's keeping you from trusting Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And listen to me carefully. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. Whatever it is, Jesus said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Would he give the whole world in exchange for his soul? No. No. It's never worth that. It's never worth that. So there's some of you here today, you're not a Christian because you're holding on to something that you think is more fun than God is. You're, you're holding on to something that you think is more precious than God. And can I tell you, and listen, could, I could have people testify all around this room. If I asked for people to give a testimony, we'd be here all day of people saying, oh, it's, it's not worth it. Let it go. I'm so glad I let it go. So it's time for you to let it go. While our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you want to trust Jesus as your Savior today, it's as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit you're a sinner, that you've done wrong, and that you've strayed from God's plan for your life. Hey, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're willing today to say, I have sinned in my life before, would you raise your hand, hold it up, just whether you're a Christian or not, if you're willing to admit, hey, I've sinned, so all of us have sinned. You can put your hand down, all of us have sinned. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you'd like to be saved today, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. It's not the words you say. It's no magic formula. But the intent of your life is to trust Jesus as your Savior. So if you'd like to be saved, I want you to, our heads are bowed. Everybody's head is bowed. I want you to pray with me just now. Say something like this, dear Lord Jesus, I know I've done wrong. And I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again on the third day so I could be saved. So just now, I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. While our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.